This is Heather Meckes, Director of Discipleship at CRC, and this is our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you, encourages you, and allows you to see how God is moving in and around you. If you would like to check out more resources, go to coopersvillereform.com. Enjoy the message.
Good morning again. Man, will you join me in thanking the choir and Sandy and Carol and Terry? I, just, thank you. Good to see that choir loft full. We're not going through a series in Romans. I was tempted. Uh, there, let, let me give you a dream of mine. I dream for this church someday, and I don't know when it's going to be, and I don't know what season, but I pray I'm here to share it with you. I want us to go through the entire 16-chapter book of Romans together from chapter 1 to chapter 16. It's a dream of mine, okay? So dream with me. I don't think it'll happen in 2022. Maybe 2023. We'll go through the whole book, and it may take us the whole year, and we'll stop and, and have some standalone sermons and also um, some Advent series, sermons, Lent series. We'll do all of that, but uh, I do dream going through this whole book with you. Um, let, let me start off by telling you one thing in life that is never going to change. That is change. Change is one thing in this life that is never going to change. It was a bit anticlimactic, I understand. Change can come quickly or change can happen slowly. Change can be a beautiful thing, glorious thing, but change can also be a destructive thing. And we've seen probably both sides of the spectrum in our lives or at least near our lives regardless of the amount of change or impact of that change, one thing is for sure in this life, change is always happening. Youth for Christ is an organization that I've championed up here probably a few times and shared in some illustrations of, but it's an organization that is near and dear to my heart. Their mission is wonderful, it's beautiful. You have a young life here in this area as well, and the organizations, the two are very similar with similar um, missions. We're actually going to maybe be a little more connected to young life as a church um, than ever before here, um, but I digress, but Youth for Christ is an organization that I served with for about 10 years and maybe even a little over 10 years when you combine years of a volunteer as well as years on staff in the Chicagoland area. And one thing that I loved about Youth for Christ is we, we would hype up these big events, these big weekly events. We'd have open gyms and then we'd share the word of God. Then we'd break out into small groups, do a bunch of fun, silly things, but God would be glorified in them. But then we'd get them on these camps. And one of the camps that we would get them to go on and we'd encourage them to go on are these summer camps. And so there would be a week out of a high school student's life where they would come with us to these summer camps. And the one that I'm thinking of was in Maryland. And boy, was it a blast and it was fun. And change was something that happened. Actually, the entire motto for Youth for Christ camp is YFC camp, where everything changes. It's this idea. And we institute it from the very beginning. How do we do so? We take the kids' phones from them. 
We take every device that they possibly have and we have dogs that come on to sniff and search for any kind of device that they may have. And students will give up their device. And what we find out is for about 24 hours, they're going through withdrawals. Okay, you'll see them like, where's my phone? And you'll just see them pretend like they have a phone. I mean, they're, they're stuck to these things. For about 24 hours, it's pretty much a big deal for them. But after that, uh, they, they don't notice it much at all. And we see kids looking up at meals. We see kids talking to one another. They find out somehow where they're going to meet even though they're not together. You just figure it out before the invention of cellular phones. And they figure it out very quick. And change in these camps happen. It's a beautiful thing. And one thing I've noticed about God is when I pursue him with an open heart that yearns to be in deeper fellowship with him, like YFC camp, for me, that's where everything changes when I surrender to God. Complete and total surrender to God is where everything changes. changes. It's where transformation takes place. You see, it can be easy for us to allow the rhythms of our schedules to drive us into numbness and not transformation because even good rhythms can become dull rhythms over time. So we had our Shock the World series over the summer where we looked at how we can be missional people and how in being missional we can help to shake the world around us. But before we shake the world around us, the spirit of the living God first needs to shake us up a little bit, doesn't he? And so this is what we're talking about when we're talking change. We're talking the spirit of the living God rattling the people of God a little bit in instituting change. God speaking through the prophet Amos, chapter five. He said, listen, I hate your feasts. I won't accept your offerings and stop playing your songs. Why, is there anything wrong with feasts? Anything wrong with giving? Anything wrong with Worshiping the Lord through song? Absolutely not. But when those things just become regular mundane rhythms outside of a worshipful heart, something's wrong with that. And that's where the people of God were at, at that particular place in their journey. It's wrong when good things become the thing and God is stripped away of the worship that he so desires from us. And I can be honest with you and tell you there's too many times in my relationship with God where if someone were to have asked me, how are things changing in your walk with God, John? If I would have been honest, I would have had to answer, there's really been no change in this season. Because it can be all too easy to just go through the motions and not freshly pursue God with a heart full of adoration and a desire to be changed and transformed by the Spirit of God. And so maybe this morning, God is calling us as a church to, to radical change in hopes that life-altering transformation may take place. Or maybe God is simply calling you to this change. If we want to see transformative change, sacrifice is going to be necessary. So this morning, we're going to look at three keys in Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. And we're going to walk through this together. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to strongly encourage you, pick up a Bible 
pick up a Bible, crack it open to the book of Romans about four-fifths of the way through the Bible or so, you'll find it. Long 16-chapter letter of Paul to the church in Rome. And in chapter 12, verse 1, it reads like this. Therefore, therefore is the hinge of the book of Romans. Therefore, there's a turning point at therefore in this entire book. So you get 11 chapters deep, you turn to chapter 12, and there's this turning point, and it turns at therefore. We'll talk a little more about that. I urge you, or I beseech you, the old King James Version would declare, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our first point this morning is surrender ignites transformation. Surrender ignites transformation. Transformation is everything in the Christian life. Paul has spent the first 11 chapters of Romans outlining in great detail this doctrine of salvation. And here in chapter 12, it, there's a turn. He is begging his readers to first commit to what? To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to surrender everything, wholly and completely surrender everything. Essentially, Paul is saying, after everything I've just shared with you, how sinful we are, how amazingly gracious and merciful God is, how we are now, because of grace, dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus, after knowing all of this now, here's the imperative. Surrender your life and give it to God. Surrender ignites transformation. What motivates someone to surrender? What motivates someone to surrender to God? Romans 12 actually gives us what should be motivational factors for the people of God. Paul writes, in view of God's mercies, in view of the mercies of God, the mercy of God motivates us to surrender. Let me share some of those mercies with you because Paul outlines them in 11 chapters in the book of Romans. The gift of the Holy Spirit is a mercy of God. Faith, which is mentioned some 20 times throughout the book of Romans and specifically in the first 11 chapters, faith is a mercy of God. Patience is a mercy of God. Kindness, sharing in his glory, love, grace, and so much more. All of these are mercies of God that he has lavished upon us and we get to experience intimately 
in a life of Jesus Christ. The mercies of God cause us, or at least call us, or lead us to surrender to God. Maybe his mercies seem dull to you today, or maybe they seem dull to you yesterday. There's great news coming from the book of Lamentations, chapter three, verses 22 and 23. The writer writes, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. And in this 23rd verse, he writes, they are new every morning. The mercies of God are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. So if his mercy seemed dull to you yesterday, good news, brothers and sisters, they don't have to be dull to you today because they're new every morning. And it is because of these amazing unending mercies of God that we should not hesitate in surrendering to God, the God who we serve. Everything changes when we surrender to God. I love this story. I don't know if I've shared it in the last year and a half or so with you, but General William Booth, the founder, the great founder of the Salvation Army in the late 1800s, was once asked to reveal the secret of his success. After some hesitation, tears came to his eyes, and he said, I will tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I have, men with greater opportunities, but from the day that I got the poor of London on my heart and caught a vision of what Jesus could do with them, on that day I made up my mind that God should have all of William Booth that there was. And this led Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman who was the questionnaire to remark after his time with General William Booth, here was his final remarks. He said, I learned from William Booth that the greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. The greatness of a man's power is the measure of their surrender. The greatest people who have been used by God haven't been the most brilliant, the best looking, or the most popular. Just look at me. They were the most surrendered. They were the most willing to be wrung out for the glory of God. Those have been the greatest people that God has used. Now Paul is certainly drawing on Jewish imagery here when he calls us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice or as living sacrifices. Jews, of course, grew up offering sacrifices to God. They grew up in the sacrificial system. But even Gentiles would have been familiar with this concept. But Paul's admonition to present your bodies as a sacrifice is distinctly different from other sacrifices that they knew of and that they had experienced. The first way it's different is because the sacrifice is alive and it remains alive. When you sacrifice something, it, it gets dead, okay? It's, it's dead if you've done it right, all right? This is not the case here. 
For us, we, after we offer ourselves up to God, actually the opposite happens. We come alive. We come alive. Resurrection power is living within us. Life is our experience. I had a buddy named GP. GP stood for good people. He was a Christian hip hop artist, had one arm, really cool guy. And GP would always tell me, he came from the gangs in Detroit, Detroit, Michigan, he'd always tell me, you know what, Jay? You know one thing that's hard about a living sacrifice is it can always crawl off the altar. GP went on to be with the Lord some couple years after he told me that. And that's a reminder to me, and it always has been, that it's not a once-and-you're-done type of deal. I constantly have to be in a surrendering relationship with God. And so do you. The other way our sacrifice is different is that ours is not done to obtain salvation, but it's done as a response to salvation. Religious sacrifices prior to Christ, whether Jewish or pagan, were done often in obedience to gain something from God, atonement, forgiveness, blessing, etc. But Paul spent 11 chapters explaining that we already have all of that in Christ. It's impossible to be more forgiven or get more blessed than we already are in him. I have a question for you this morning. Are you more like a pig or a chicken? Here's what I mean. That was, once again, anticlimactic. Okay, I learned this as it relates to presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. Dr. Tony Evans taught me this. It's the difference between what a chicken and a pig bring to a bacon and egg breakfast. The chicken makes a contribution. Kerplunk, chicken. That's their contribution to a bacon and egg breakfast. But the pig offers everything. The pig is wholly and completely sacrificed. kind of surrender do you have to God? Do you have a chicken type of surrender and sacrifice to God where I give him a little contribution here, there? Or do you have a holy, completely, take all of me type of sacrifice to God? It's the difference in what a pig or a chicken offer to the breakfast table of bacon and eggs. I'd love CRC to be a bunch of pigs in our worship, offering everything to him. Let's look at the first part of Romans 12, 2, again, for our second point. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, Paul declares, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Surrendering is a war. The word for transform there is the word that we get our English word metamorphosis from. It's metamorpho in the Greek. It's where we get our word metamorphosis 
from. And metamorphosis, the word that we use to describe what happens to a caterpillar when they sew themselves up in a cocoon, cocoon, and they emerge then as a glorious butterfly. But surrendering is a war, and it's a process. A lot of times we think as surrendering as ending the war. Throw your white flag up, the war's over. One side surrenders, the other side conquers, the war is complete. But surrendering as a Christian causes a war to actually really crank up like never before because we have an adversary. And also because even though we died to the flesh, the flesh still wages war. Galatians 5.17, Paul writes to the church in Galatia, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. They are in war with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Surrendering is the key to a fruitful life in Christ, but listen to me, friends, it's, it's not easy. There's war waging. If you're not experiencing warfare here this morning, you may not be in the battle. That's the reality. You may be conquered, but it's not over for you. But you may be not in the battle. Loving your spouse is a war. It's warfare. Training up the next generation in the ways of the Lord, that's warfare. Loving your neighbor, warfare. The same neighbor that has an employee park his car on your newly seated lawn. It's, it's really not that big of a deal. For some of us, it's just waking up on a Sunday morning and making the gathering a priority. That's war to you. And it can be hard, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, for many of you, it's not war. You've grown up in church all your life. You do a great job being here. For our future generation, the younger generation that's coming up, my generation, the older millennials like myself, raising families, some others, it's hard for some of those to make it a rhythm, to war. There's warfare waging and the answer is complete and total surrender to God. That's the answer to warfare. But we live in a world that views surrender as weakness. But in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And we live in a world that views surrender as small-mindedness. But John the Baptist said, I believe in John 3.30, that I must decrease that he may increase. And we live in a world that views surrender as a sign of giving up. I don't give up, Pastor John, but Jesus said in John 12, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Surrendering is the key to the Christian life, but it is a war. And when you're in war, let me tell you one thing that'll help you out a little bit. Power, power, Romans 1 16. 
For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to all who believe, to everyone who believes. First, for the Jew, then to the Gentile. This is why the gospel is not just for unbelievers. It's not just for your first experience with Christ. It's not just for your salvation. But as we renew our minds in the mercies that overflow in the gospel, and as we saturate our souls in them, we are transformed into the kind of people who obey God with a heart of submission. I've heard it said that the gospel is like a well. You don't get more and better water from it by simply digging wide. You get better water from it the deeper you dig. And the gospel is a well that you cannot dig too deep in, friend. Don't care if you've been in the Lord for 90 years. There's more digging that you can get from that well. How deep have you dug into the gospel? If you're a believer, does the gospel still move your soul or does it feel like, oh, I've heard it a thousand times. It doesn't just call us to surrender, it calls us to continue surrendering. The gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian faith, it is the A to Zs of the Christian faith. It is the whole thing. It is the life blood the gospel of Jesus Christ is. It's like your alma mater's school song after a big win, Michigan and state fans, you can relate with this, it doesn't get old. It's beautiful. The more you hear it, the more you know it, the more you love it. But has the gospel become dull to you, friend? Has the war lessened in your life? Maybe you need to get back on the saddle. Paul certainly seems to be reminding us that there are some forces in this world that are going to come against that. This is why it is a war. The world is this fallen state of systems and values that this world and those in it have adopted, that the God of this world has instituted, Satan. And these systems and values come against the word of God, the will of God, and the mind of Christ. And so he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, and so we are constantly in need of renewal. Let's look at Romans 12, 2b. We're gonna jump one here, Heather. Romans 12, 2b for our final point. Then, Paul writes, then, if you could go to that second slide, and the back half of that says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. Our final point this morning is surrender is the will of God for your life. Surrender is the will of God for your life. But what you should notice is that the will of God here is not so much a particular choice as it is a way of life. I think oftentimes I'll talk to people and they'll say, Pastor John, 
what's the will of God for this decision in my life? And oftentimes it's like finding a job. Should I date this person? Should I marry this person? Should we move to this home or that home? I mean, what financial decision should we make? What's the will of God in that decision? And I'm not saying those aren't big things. Those aren't important things. Those aren't things that we need to invite counselors in and the Lord as the key chief counselor into, yes. But listen to me, the will of God is more than some separated decisions that we make in our life. It is a way of life for the believer. The will of God is us continuing to surrender to God, worship God, follow God, seek his word, and live our lives in accordance to it. In the grand scheme of things, for us, that is what we should be focused on. In those decisions that come up in our life through an active abiding prayer life in Jesus Christ, through an active abiding relationship with him and his word, those decisions at times seem to just jump off the page. They seem to almost become natural. Not that there's not times where you don't have decisions to make and you really have to decipher and discern and bring other counselors in. We're blessed with a multitude of counselors, but those decisions seem to just freely happen more often than not. The will of God are not separated, segregated decisions that we make in our life. The majority of the will of God is fulfilled by learning to surrender to God in worship above everything else in your life, by learning to offer yourself as a sacrifice to him. Surrendered people walk in the will of God and it changes everything for them. So what does it look like for you to see everything in your life? All of your talents, all of your gifts, all of your treasures and every opportunity that you have as something given to you to offer up to service to God. When we do this, I believe it causes us to walk in the joy of the will of God in our lives. Here are the three adjectives in conclusion that Paul uses to describe the will of God. He says good, it's the good. The will of God may not always feel good, but understand that it is good, Romans 8, 28. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him for those who are called according to his purpose. Second adjective is pleasing. It's pleasing when we walk in the truth, it pleases God. Hebrews eleven six says, and without faith it is impossible to please God. The surrendered life is the life that is driven by faith in God. And the third adjective that Paul uses is it is the perfect. Will of God. God's will is perfect, but the word here, as it pertains to us, actually means perfected or mature. And so the will of God has a way of maturing us as the people of God, as we grow in our relationship and our surrendered relationship to God. And so as we conclude, I want us to consider this one question. I have one question for you to consider. What is the measure of your surrender to God? What is the measure of your surrender to God? The same question 
the same thought anyway that came from Wilburn after meeting with William Booth. Now it comes back to you. What is the measure of your surrender to God? What is the measure of my surrender to God? I want us to chew on that as we are about to enter into communion together. So what I'm gonna have you do is I'm gonna have you rise and we're going to read together Romans 12, one and two. Would you read it with me? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you. We thank you that in order to be in right standing with you, we are not called to jump through hoops. We're not called to show you how impressive we really are, but we are called to surrender, and therefore we are transformed when we do so. So Father, I pray as we think and as we chew on this thought of what is our surrender currently looking like today as a person, what is the measure of our surrender currently. God, I pray if there's things that we're holding back, I pray if there's things that we're just not giving up and our surrender has become dull and really it's become non-existent in this season for us, I pray that we would get back to surrendering to you. And I pray that you would reignite that fire, maybe that some of us have lost. I pray that you would reignite that for your glory, for your purposes, that we may walk as a people in the will of God, the good and the perfect and the pleasing will of God. God, we love you, we thank you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray, amen. You may be seated. We're gonna partake in communion this morning. We will pass it, so you didn't miss anything if you walked in like, oh, I didn't get the cup. We're passing it this morning. Now, we wanna encourage you, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, you are invited to partake in communion this morning. You do not have to be a member here, but we ask that you are a believer in Christ Jesus. You have surrendered your life to him and you are in that transformation process. If you're not a believer, man, we are so grateful that you are worshiping with us this morning, but we'd love to share with you more about what it looks like to be a, a believer in Christ Jesus. The same night that Jesus was betrayed, he met with his disciples in the upper room. It was really a powerful yet somber experience. And he declared to them, this is my body, 
which is broken for you. As often as you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup and he poured it out. He lifted it up and he gave thanks, declaring this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. As often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. So what we're going to do is we're going to deliver to you first bread. We have a gluten-free option in here on the plate as well. Oop, that's the drink. Um, we'll first deliver the bread to you. Um, the gluten-free option is in the little white plate if you would like to take that. If you would wait until everyone is served, our elders will come back up, I'll serve them, and we will partake in the bread together, and then likewise with the juice, if our elders would come forward.